0: In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Reel, it's about the people. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's the same studio, but it's not just a bunch of tech nerds. It's also uh, rock stars, politicians, authors, whistleblowers, filmmakers. I didn't mean nerds. Um, you name it. So uh, <laughs> That was pretty harsh. That was yeah. harsh, right? No, I try to change up the intro a little bit so people don't know it's taped. But um, it's, a, a, bit, uh, it's a, a bit more uh, non-just uh, tech over there, uh, like I said. So check that out at LondonReel.tv. TV, but today we're here to talk tech. My co-host is uh, Colin Pyle. You're really moving markets. We just saw your new coffee with the, the with the films on it. It looks great. You're, you're in Soho House. You're in Harrods. Uh, pretty soon, you're not even going to come by here anymore, I think.
1: Stepping up the game. <laughs> yeah, no, things things are good. Crazy busy. Okay. But uh, yeah, Harrods just this week, so haven't seen figures yet. A little nervous, but, uh, but yeah, exciting time and very long process but very rewarding that uh, that we're in there so Excellent. Okay, so
0: if you uh, go go to Soho House and drink the coffee, go to Harrods and buy your coffee, go to crewcafe.com and and sign up. There we go. Okay, fantastic. Let's get on with the show. I'm so excited about this. Our guest today is Joe Bertram, who is the general manager for Uber in London. Uh, If you haven't heard of them, Uber is a ride-sharing app which connects drivers of private hire vehicles with passengers directly. Uh, Uber operates in, I believe, 208 cities in maybe 45 countries. Uh, You launched in the UK. UK two years ago, and in May, you raised $1.2 billion from big Z, uh, VC firms and Google Ventures, valuing you at 17000000000 billion pre-money. Uh, your CEO, uh, Travis uh, Kalanick, is uh, bold and outspoken. Uh, they say in business he's a brawler, which is a compliment, of course. Uh, Joe, you worked uh, as a management consultant for McKinsey and Accenture for eight years. You have a physics degree from uh, the University of Cambridge. Welcome to Silicon Reel. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, let me just rattle off a few facts. Um, uh, they say London is set to become uh, Uber's quickest growing market ahead of L.A., with more than 7,000 drivers transporting half a million people. Uh, uh, Travis was here recently, and he said, quote, London is the Champions League of transportation. Uh, it has got a more dynamic, more competitive transportation system than any other city in the world. So I wondered, what is it like now when you wake up in the morning to go do that job of, uh, of making Uber a reality in London?
2: It's great. I mean, I think we've seen huge change over the last year. And as, as you mentioned, we only launched two years ago. Uh, I joined the team a year ago, and we were just a team of three people. And now we've got about thirty-five people. As you mentioned, seven thousand drivers driving around London. You look around and you see the Toyota Prius outside. It's great to see the impact that we're having.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic in that sense. Um, it's uh, it's interesting because there's been uh, you get so much publicity, I think, from all the people that, that protest you. Sometimes, I mean, there's yeah, a, the, the black cabs lined up six months ago, and what did they? Did they stop traffic in London? And
1: it, it, it's almost like a negative impact. I don't think they realize because I, I I thought I read some stat that on just after the protests, your your registrations went through the roof
2: yeah we announced uh, I think it was an eight hundred and fifty percent increase in signups <laughs> on that, that morning of the right. of the protests themselves. Right. There were a lot of people who'd never heard of Uber before that day. Yeah. So, so like, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously. So when you when you started, was it a year and a half ago or two years? Uh,
2: just over a year ago. What,
0: uh, what was the task you had to do? I mean, I guess you started kind of from scratch here in London. What, what, what did you have to do? What was the biggest obstacle? And if you could just tell us the story of what the last 18 months of your life has been like.
2: Absolutely. So um, Uber launched in London two years ago, initially with our Lux product. Um, so you may be aware we've got four products here in London. The first one we launched was Uber Lux, which is we like to think think of the best chauffeur service in London, um, long wheelbase, S-class Mercedes, the driver turns up in a suit and tie, you've got water, some, some of them have iPads, magazines, things like that. Um, only a little bit more expensive than, than a black cab or, or many of our other competitors. And so we'd been operating for about a year. I joined um, with the remit to grow the business. Essentially, the general manager is responsible for everything about running the business in that, in that city, in that market. Um, we just launched UberX. Uh, which is our cheapest, sort of best value um, for money product, uh, Toyota Prius or equivalent.
0: What you showed up in today.
2: Exactly. Yes, okay. She uses her <laughs> Economical own. as yeah. always. Is that
0: called <laughs> eating the dog food is what Google calls that when you use your own product, right? We
2: all travel Uber actually all the time. You do. Okay. Uh, yeah. Make sure we're, we're trying out the service. So we launched that in, in August uh, last year. And I think that was really the turning point is it? 30 to 50% cheaper than almost every other form of um, private hire or taxi transportation. So it opened the sector up to people who'd otherwise not be able to afford to, to, to use that kind of transport. Um, and we saw, saw huge growth. Um, we also launched Uber Exec, somewhere in the middle. We know some of those banking types can't nowadays show up in the really swanky S Class. So it's an E Class Mercedes, a bit more discreet, um, aimed for the, for the business traveler. And um, we've basically been growing the business uh, ever since. And then, So I deal with everything from um, managing the supply and the demand, managing the team, um, managing the overall strategy, recruiting, any legal and regulatory questions, media, the, the public face of the, of the company as well. Um, and then during this year, I mean, we've seen incredible growth. We did a Give 20, Get 20 campaign. Um, you may be aware at the moment we have a referral campaign. So if you, give, if you refer your friend, you give them £10 credit. Um, when they ride, you get £10 credit. And earlier this year, we actually doubled that to 20 pounds. And as you can imagine, that's uh, that's a lot of free money, and a, a lot of people um, rode rode a lot. Um, and so we saw huge growth then. Um, and then with the um, protests and the publicity through the course of this year, we've also been been growing very, very quickly. We opened up the app actually to black taxis uh, as uh, yeah. well in, mm-hmm. in June. Uh, wanted to make sure that they also had the option. Uh, we, we love black taxis. They're a key part of London. I'm, I'm a Londoner. We wanted to make sure that they also had the opportunity to earn some extra money on the on the Uber platform. Most of them don't, don't use it, use it full time, but it means if, if things are quiet or they're sitting at the back of a taxi rank, they can just pick up an, an extra job or two. And if they do that every day, that's another £10,000 a year. So everything, every little bit helps.
0: You know, when we had Halo here uh, six months ago, I told you know I said that you know the quintessential—you're I mean, from London—the quintessential British London experience, especially as a foreigner, is riding in that black cab, yeah. especially ten, fifteen years ago before Uber came along, when like there was not much other choice, and the cab, the black cab, is is almost like a limousine, you know, compared to America, right. and so it's like an—and it's an institution, it's a British institution. So when you go head to head with that, you must be fighting a lot of things. You're fighting that kind of the, that union. You're fighting the public who. Is kind of has that as a beloved icon I mean how do you deal with that?
2: So I wouldn't say we were, we were fighting that, essentially, okay. I and mean, we see Uber as another option to get around the city, and sometimes you want to take an Uber, sometimes you want to take a black cab I and mean, they can go in the bus lanes, they, they have the intimate knowledge of the city, sometimes you want to take the Tube, the bus, Boris bike, it's just another option in, in getting around the city. Uh, and as I mentioned, we've now opened up the app also to, to black taxis, and we've got hundreds of them on the platform, um, so we very much feel part of that, part of that industry.
0: What's the biggest bottleneck you have as far as doing your job? You, you, you've uh, been in the press in America looking for drivers and fighting for drivers with Lyft, et cetera. Is that the main issue in London is signing up the driver's side as opposed to getting the consumer base?
2: Well, there's 10 million people in London, and we believe that we've got an absolutely fantastic pro- uh, uh, product and, and service. So, of course, the supply side is always going to be a bit more difficult. Um, we Here in, in the U.K., we only use... Um, private hire licensed drivers. There's about 60,000 of them in, in London, 20,000 uh, black cabs. So obviously the pool is, is a bit smaller. We also go through quite extensive um, sort of vetting process to bring on board the drivers. So it's a little, bit easier than persu- uh, a little bit easier to persuade you to refer your friend to ride than to persuade a, a driver to sort of um, come in, go through the onboarding process and risk his livelihood essentially because he's, this is his, his primary source of income to, to join the platform. Uh, But we've got hundreds of drivers very keen to join uh, and it's just a matter of going through that process. How do you find a driver? A lot of them actually refer their friends. Um, It's a very small industry and I think one of the things that's great about Uber is is how passionate the drivers are um, about what they do. It's a really different model for the private hire drivers. Typically it's an industry where they're salaried employees who work very inflexible shifts and don't have much much freedom or, or sort of transparency. Now they work with us as independent business owners. They can work as much or as little as they want. They can log on when they want and, and log off when they want to do something else. Uh, it's a non-exclusive, so they can combine it with other work. Many of them have either their own business or they're doing um, contract work. For example, some might drive around celebrities, some of our Lux drivers. And then when they have spare time, they can get more money out of their car. Um, so it, it's been a very attractive option. They then refer their friends uh, and bring, bring, them, uh, bring them to Uber. So often we've had almost more drivers wanting to join than we've been able to process and, uh, and check.
0: It's an interesting marketplace. What do you see? Uh, and when you, when you hear Uber and watch what they're doing, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, what do you see? You know, I think you look at Uber and it, it's, you, you know, the valuation that you
1: guys got on your last, last raise was just mind-blowing, right? That, that it's worth that much money. But you start to really look at Uber and what it's doing and how it's it's changing, right? It's logistics. It's right now it's moving people, but where does it go in the future? And I think Uber is really interesting in London because you're almost competing with TFL in a way too. The Uber X I think is incredible. You know, if I'm going somewhere with my wife, if it's not that far, it's, it's pretty close to the same price as us taking the tube, which is just, you know, be interesting to see what TFL, I'd love to see those numbers since Uber X sort of started in London what, what the TFL numbers have gone I actually think it
2: helps because I mean one of the issues especially when they open up the tube um, 24 hours is this last mile problem right. so now next year whenever it is that they do that they're going to have tubes um, spitting people out in, in zone 3 or 4 with, with no way to get that extra 10-15 minutes home um, and that's where Uber is able to provide some of the extra capacity and um, provide to some of those underserved areas. We actually found something like 40 percent of Uber requests are coming from areas outside central London where yeah. transportation can be a bit more difficult.
0: Do you have a matrix of information? I know, you know, uh, Travis, uh, when he started this a long time ago, you know, it was kind of the private hire service in San Francisco. And then at one point he was looking at all of the drivers and where they were located and I don't know, had an aha moment and wanted to scale it. But do you, is that something you watch as a general manager there of all the motion that's going on in London? And do you try to run those numbers and pick up trends and think of different things you should do?
2: Absolutely. Um, so Uber's a are you very... a data freak? Are you all over that data? <laughs> well, I was a physicist originally, oh, yeah. okay. but uh, no, Uber is a very data-driven um, company and we, we hire a lot of people for their analytical ability. Um, we, we have a huge amount of, of data on how the system as a whole is, is working, like um, how efficient the drivers are being, where you expect to see demand, when you expect to see it. We try to provide a lot of that information for the drivers themselves as well. That's part of empowering them to run their, their own business. I mean, they, a lot of them know it intuitively, but we give them information each week. This is when we can expect it to be busy. Um, this is when you worked last week. If you worked these times, this is how you could earn more money. You don't have to, but this is when the, the peak periods are and things like that. And then we're always running different analyses to try and figure out how to optimize the system or how to Im- improve things for the drivers or, or for the customers.
0: Is it true that at any moment you can see all of the smartphones that are logged into the Uber app and all of the drivers and then all of the cars that are active? I mean, can you see all that information we
2: can see all of the cars that are logged on and, and where they're at and, and whether they're um, on a trip or whether they're um, available um, and we can see when someone's requesting uh, but but not all the not okay. all the smartphones yeah. with it on their app that yeah. would be scary <laughs> they, <laughs> they only
0: after it. you take the blue pill <laughs> yeah, exactly. right No, it, it's uh, it seems like a fascinating it sounds like the transportation is just has been this massively inefficient Peace sure. for the whole world for the last, I mean, massively inefficient, because if you can really provide all this value and provide drivers that wouldn't normally be doing this or they could work these hours and do this, I mean, it sounds like this has been running at like 4% efficiency when it could be in the nineties. Is it that, is it that much that, that we need to improve? I think forward.
2: technology's brought a lot of efficiency. I mean, I would argue, I mean, like Travis said, that London is is and, and always has been the, the Champions League of Transportation. So we, it's a very interesting market. And, and for us as the local team here, it's a very different market to um, to, to try and grow Uber in um, because there are very good alternative options. And so some of the challenges here is to be make sure that we're bringing a product that's different but has its own own value proposition. You can get home on the, the tube. So bringing a very high-end expensive service here may get much less traction. What we think we've done is actually packing in the most value at each price point. So we have a range of services, whether you want the, the cheapest possible option or whether you want you know, all the bells and whistles. But at each price point, we think that's the, the best option that you can get.
0: Okay, let's talk about Uber Pool. Um, You know, Travis was here recently, and he said it's going to potentially take a million cars off the street in London. I don't know, maybe I was misquoting. But what is Uber Pool? What's the whole idea of that?
2: So UberPool is an experiment we're running in um, San Francisco, where and, and it refers back to your data point, I guess. What we wanted to see is how do we make um, transportation even cheaper for, for, for users and even more efficient. And we all know the congestion that we see on the roads, both here and in almost every other major city. Um, Uber on its own is already, in, in many cities, cheaper than owning a car, depending on how often you travel. It's often much cheaper just to travel, travel by Uber. Um, but we were thinking, what, what if you could actually share your your ride so say I'm leaving here and I'm going across to Paddington if there was a way for me to see um, who else want, is leaving from somewhere near here around the same time and wants to go in that direction and find a way to match us up um, so, and so that we can split the cost of the, of the journey. Obviously the, the algorithms and the, the data behind that is, is hugely complex but that's an experiment that they're, they're running um, in San Francisco and we ha- hope has huge potential elsewhere in the world.
0: Yeah, I, it seems like you have to just get it right and get the tech right. I, it
1: hurts my brain just trying to figure <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> it out who's I, I,
1: here, who's here, who's going there. Yeah,
0: I heard there was a company that launched something similar with black cabs, and they're mm. trying to do that with a black cab, which just to me seemed like a really hard sell to just yeah. try to get someone who doesn't know someone to share this black cab, which they're not used to. But obviously, yeah. if you get it right. And the discounts are big. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's
2: up to 40 or 50% discount sure. if, you're, if you're very closely matched. But obviously, you need quite a lot of liquidity. I and mean, if there's only 10 people on, right. in London using this service, the likelihood of getting a match is, is very low. Sure. So it's figuring out how do you make it work at, at each scale.
0: Why is London the Champions League? I mean, why isn't it New York City or Tokyo? I mean, those are very big cities, you know, big populations. Well, why is London...
2: Like. For Uber or in general? Yeah, for, for Uber. Yeah, for Uber. Because I, mean, I mean, I think Travis's comment was referring in general. Like, we have some of the best transportation infrastructure here in the world with the tube, the buses, right. taxis, some of the best taxis in the world. Um, private hire industry has coexisted here for decades as well. Um, so it, it is a very competitive environment. I think why Uber's been so successful here is that the products we offer are very different and distinct from, um, from those other options in the, in the market. So it's, it's really another choice instead of trying to compete directly with something that's exactly the same as someone else is offering.
0: Now, you, uh, you've just been named kind of head of the Nordic and head of Ireland as well, so you look at a bunch of different cities UK, and regions. Ireland and Nordic. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. You know, I, every time you read about Uber, we talked about it earlier, it's uh, the, the Parisian cab drivers freaking out. It's the German court saying you can't use this, and then they reverse the decision. Obviously the black cabs did a protest, now they can, they can join. But is that something that you guys as a company kind of enjoy? Do you have to get used to it? Do you hire people saying that, look, we are pioneers and we're going to have to get used to this? Or I, I mean, how do you deal with that? You must be thinking about that in Ireland or the Nordic markets. Like, w- w- how much does press play into this?
2: Uh, it's obviously obviously an important part of the business. I mean, essentially we're disrupting an industry that in most cities hasn't been disrupted for decades. Um, we're bringing competition also to, to those industries, and that can be be uncomfortable. Uh, Technology is also brought new new things for, for regulators to think about. I mean, even here in London, the latest private hire legislation was written, I think, in 1998, so prior to smartphones or Google Maps or any of this um, ever being being invented. Um, so there's always going to be um, challenges. There's, I think one of the interesting things for Uber is we operate in so many cities, and typically transport legislation is something that's done at a, at a local level, at a city level, not even nationally. So, for example, here in the UK, there's an overarching framework from the Department of Transport, but it's up to Manchester City Council, Transport for London, you know, Birmingham City Council, how they operate in each in each city. And obviously the same through through Europe. So it's figuring out what are the different products and services that we offer that's right for that market and right for the people who, who live in that city.
0: Hmm. Big job. Uh, talk to me about kittens and uh, Christmas trees and Valentine's. Uh, you know, these have been great publicity stunts where you could, what, you could have a kitten transported you and play with them or have a Christmas tree really quick. Have you done some of these in London and, 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 and what is this all about?
2: Yeah, I mean, we do it it for two (laughs) things, for two reasons, I guess. One is um, we really want to just delight our our riders and and provide them another experience. But the other thing is it's it's an experiment. Um, It's actually very easy for us to open up the app to bring you something else at the touch of a button. At the moment, it's a car, and we've done a few experiments like that to bring you something at at the touch of a button. You mentioned, I mean, in the U.S. they did Uber kittens. So on National Cat Day, um, you could order to your office some kittens from the cat shelter completely humane uh, right, to when, be delivered when to your office. national cat day. I think it was in the autumn <laughs> last year. I can't remember the exact day. It yeah. It was national America. everything day. There we, go. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, we did Christmas trees on demand at, at Christmas. I think they've done air conditioners in New York here in London. We've done a few things. Uh, we've done, um, we did a partnership with Bacardi, so on Cuban Independence Day, we brought you uh, Cuba Libres, or Uber Libres, as we called, uh, called them, uh, for free, um, thanks to Bacardi, um, anywhere in London for, for one day. You delivered
0: um, a drink to people?
2: Yeah, so okay. you, you would book in your app uh, the, the Uber Libre icon, and a car wrapped car would, would turn up uh, with your um, cocktail master, He'd come into your office or your home, uh, whip out his little box, make you a nice cocktail, leave it with you and your friends, and, and then um, go on to the next one. We did globally ice cream. Um, Uber ice cream on demand on on July the 18th, where in something like uh, 150 cities, however many we were in at the time, we delivered ice cream um, for one day only. And that was an amazing example of a global logistics delivery system that we were able to set up in a matter of weeks. And each city could deliver the ice cream however they wanted. So here in London, we had 54 ice cream trucks uh, on demand through the app. In Paris, they had those little old uh, Citroen cars. I think in Italy, they had Vespers. In Bangkok, they had tuk-tuks. Like each city could just do, interpret it how they wanted. But globally, we delivered hundreds of thousands of pieces of ice cream on that, on that day.
0: How was that from your standpoint? I mean, how, how hard was that week for you?
2: It was great. I mean, the, the actual day itself, there's quite a lot of moving, moving parts, including uh, corralling the 54 ice cream trucks. But uh, no, it went really well. And it's great to see the support from the users when you do, do something like that.
1: So is that a huge opportunity for you guys in terms of the last mile of shipping and logistics that Amazon now is, you know, trying to master the same day delivery and they're even talking about like you know delivery trucks that ride around and anticipate what people are going to order um, so does that put you guys in, like, a really good position to either compete against Amazon or or maybe even partner with them?
2: Well, I mean, we're definitely thinking about um, different logistics experiments, and there's a few in, in the U.S. I mean, they do um, Uber Rush, so it's a bicycle courier. If you want to get keys or documents across town, you can you can order a bicycle courier. They've got a corner store in Washington, D.C., where you can order just general items you'd order from your from your corner store, again, through the app. In, um, in, on the West Coast, we're doing uber-fresh, so deliver salads from some of the favorite restaurants within five or ten minutes. But I think the way we're thinking about it is, what can I bring to someone within five or ten minutes? We're not as interested in just generally doing logistics, but what can we actually have in the car such that we can, we can get it to you in a few minutes? And that's where very few other people sort of play in that space. And I think Travis talks about the one-legged trips where you've got the inventory in the car. Um, For example, Uber Fresh, you've got a car that's stocked up with with the salads, which means it's incredibly efficient because you book and then he comes to you and then the next person books and he goes to them um, instead of having to go back to the depot each time. And they tell stories of um, people who are waiting in line for their favorite restaurant and they actually open up the app, um, call Uber Fresh, and they get it delivered before they've got to the front of the line in the restaurant. Mm.
0: I mean, part of the reason you have such a big valuation and everyone's talking about Uber is because of this transition to kind of like this, lo- this potential like, logistical behemoth, you know, where you're almost challenging, like you said, the Amazons or the Walmarts and all this, these kinds of things. So for you and your job, it's not like it's, you know, an Addison Lee hat where you're like, we are a driver company, we send them here and that's all we're ever going to do, I think. No offense to Addison Lee. But for you, are you always thinking like, okay, I might be delivering salads in six months, or we might be delivering, I don't know, know, construction material, or I don't know, are you always trying to think... A bunch of steps ahead as to what your company might be in a year.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think the interesting thing about Uber is things move so quickly as well. So we do um, operate on a fairly short time horizon. I mean, there's so many developments happening from the engineering team that they're bringing, you know, new products, making things work better. So we're always adapting to that and looking for different ways to to grow the business. And at the moment, we still see huge potential in London, um, in in sort of private hire and, and taxi. We're hoping to launch several other UK cities coming soon Um, we think there's there's huge potential there as well so there's there's a huge amount of opportunities and I guess one of the challenges is just figuring out which are the ones we should go after right now because you obviously can't do all of them at once
0: is it expensive setting up your business and does it help having this kind of big war chest of you know whatever at least in America they've got the billion dollars I mean is it something that makes your job easier or harder
2: um, I think we operate very much like a, a startup in each city that we operate in. I mean, we're in, we're in so many cities that we still have to operate in a very lean sort of lean way with a lot of financial discipline. And we typically start in a city with three people. Um, and, and those three people literally run their own startup in, in that city and, and grow it up. I think the, um, one of the biggest challenges is actually building that marketplace. As you mentioned, we're not like a, a traditional operator where you might build up capacity of trucks and then you just need to sell that capacity or cars or whatever it might be. Um, ours is a marketplace. We all know that if a, if a potential customer logs into the app and they can't see any cars one or two times, they probably won't, won't travel with us again. But it's also important on the driver's side. If they come and we've got too many drivers compared to the, the passengers and they, they keep logging in every day and they don't get enough work, they'll also leave and, and go and do something else. They're completely free to, to work with us as much or as little as they want. So one of the challenges is making sure that we grow that, that business at the right pace and keeping those two, two pieces aligned.
0: Tough job, huh? What's your biggest challenge for the next year? I mean, if you can tell us. Or what are some of them that you're just thinking, okay, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this?
2: I think um, one of them is probably just how you grow that quickly to, to grow your team. As I mentioned, we were three people a year ago. Now we're, now we're 35 or so, 50, 50 in the region. And growing and building a team that quickly in, in what is quite a complex um, industry and a quite a complex company um, can be quite challenging. And when you, there's, there's not that many organizations that have had to go through that growth curve so quickly and figuring out what's the best way to do that is, is often challenging
0: company culture. has that come under your you know, responsibilities and how, how do you, what is your culture like and how do you promote it?
2: So we have a a culture sort of across um, Uber around. I mean, Travis is very keen on best idea wins. So um, you shouldn't be worried about stepping on people's toes. Whoever it is, if you think you've got a better idea, then you should have put it forward. So it's a very flat culture, very entrepreneurial, um, very decentralized. So that each general manager is really. I mean, Travis talks to them uh, as the CEO of their of their city or their market. So very, very decentralized. Um, And as we grow, I guess some of the challenges will be how do you make sure you still allow that on, uh, autonomy and entrepreneurialism but you still um, keep some consistency um, you know, make sure the company as a whole still keeps that, that same culture yeah, and then we're right. going into a lot of developing markets and obviously the technical challenges as you go into, into Asia into Africa, we're in Bogota, Riyadh, Abu Dhabi India, China and all of these countries alone sort of provide their own own challenges technically as well
0: I was on Google now the other day and checking a map and it was like giving me the tube and the bus and, you know, the tube in London, you're like, oh, do I go there and there or there? And then at the bottom it was said, or take an Uber. And uh, I was just wondering how, how important it's been to have Google ventures as one of your investors. And I guess they're not just an investor because they do help with marketing and maps and things like that. Has that been a big help or a medium help?
2: I think the two parts are quite, quite separate, actually, the, the sort of investment from Google Ventures and then any commercial partnerships with with Google. So we're, we're very happy that we've managed to build that um, commercial relationship around the Uber um, option in, in Google, uh, but it's quite separate from, from the investment. And we've actually now... But I never see an Addison Lee option there. <laughs> it's yeah. just Uber. We've actually opened up our API now, um, so any apps, um, or any developers can integrate Uber into their app and mm-hmm. show where the nearest cars are, the ETAs, the prices, do price estimates, and, and things like that. So it's going to be quite exciting to see what, what they do and, and how people use it. Our launch partners included um, TripAdvisor. Here in London, our launch partner was was timeout so when you go to the timeout app uh, you open up the page on the details page you can also see the option to get an uber and see where the where the cars are so obviously the natural um partners for this are travel or events and going out but it's going to be really interesting to see what what other companies do with with that option
0: you know, Peter Thiel recently said on the, in that class he's teaching at Stanford how to start a startup, he's, he had a lecture called Competition is for Losers, and that any good startup should just try to be a monopoly, and they should just go in trying to own a market. Is that something you think about? Because, you know, you, you're not like you said you were not competing with Halo. They can sign up. It doesn't sound like you look at this market as you have competition. It sounds like you're just building your own infrastructure and people can join or not. Is that kind of the mentality? Well we think it's
2: another option. I mean, I think competition's actually good and it's good for us. It keeps us on our toes and it's good it's good for for the industry. I mean, from a customer side it means you get better value better quality better service but importantly from the driver side it makes sure that all the companies are giving the best economic opportunities to the drivers giving them the flexibility or also or sort of perks that, that they want so i think it's a positive thing but i mean it, it's a very competitive industry and you're competing not only with um taxi and private hire but with tube bus you know every other form of transport as well
0: yeah is it easy for you to hire people
2: Recently, it's been, been much easier <laughs> <laughs> with, with all the publicity. I mean, luckily, here in London, there's a huge pool of talent, so uh, we, we haven't, haven't struggled here. We are still looking for a, a general manager in, uh, in Dublin, so uh, if, if you know of anyone there, that, that would be fantastic. And we're, We've got a, a ton of opportunities on our website, so uh, always looking for more people.
0: And When you go into Dublin and, and Stockholm and these kind of places, do you feel like you're going in with a lot of knowledge that you picked up here and, and you know a lot of things about what to do right and what not to do right?
2: Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot of um, experience that you gain and and sort of knowledge from having done it once before. I think the the difference is getting started in a new city is a very different challenge from taking a business and scaling it up. And that, those first six months or however long it is, and really no one's maybe heard of Uber, the drivers are skeptical, they haven't yet, I mean, heard from their friends how it works and things like that. It can be much harder. And then there's a lot of going out, talking to people, telling them why we believe it's, it's such a fantastic opportunity, talking to potential partners, um, things like that, getting them to want to, to partner with us. Uh, and then recently, I mean, in London, it, it gets easier on that side because suddenly we get Get a lot of people asking us. Um, so we've managed to recently get to the point where a lot of people want to partner with us. We get a lot of incoming requests. But in those other cities, they still have to build that, build that profile.
1: You, you think you're going to have the same troubles in the Nordics with protests and stuff like that? Or are they much more open to it?
2: Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have yeah. to see. I mean, even the, the protests in, in London were a bit unexpected, I guess. So it's not right. something anyone sort of saw coming. Right. Um, it's, it's really interesting to see what happens in, in the industry, I guess, and uh, and how people react.
1: And just to of, here, the, sort of the, the sort of the protests, is it the same in every city? Are they sort of complaining about the same thing or is it different? Do you, is it different in... Sorry, I guess Paris was the big one, and then
2: in London too, I
0: guess. Berlin, or, Berlin or, I don't yeah. know, were there protests there?
2: I think it varies in, in all the cities. I think the one thing that's, that's very different about London versus many of the other cities is black cab drivers are independent operators who essentially already run their own business. In comparison, in the U.S., the, the actual drivers are usually renting their vehicle from someone who owns the taxi medallion and is making a huge amount of money about it out of it. But the drivers themselves are, you know, tend to be fairly poorly paid and, and not always very good. Um, I know across Europe there's often sort of bigger unions that have more entrenched political interests. So I think it's quite a different, different situation here in London. Right.
0: You have a famous um, kind of a battle going on with Lyft in America. Are Lyft in London? I don't even know. And no. okay, all right. And uh, I know it's like they stole our drivers. No, you stole our drivers. You you book phony uh, trips. No, you book phony trips. I mean, is this is this healthy um, or is it too much? Do you think? I mean, I know you don't work there, so I guess I'm just asking for your <laughs> comment. But uh, like, uh, what, what do you make of all that?
2: I mean, here in London, we're just focused on sharing the opportunity that we have um, for, for drivers to work, uh, work on the platform. Um, I think telling people about what opportunities are available to them, I mean, it happens to all of us all the time. I mean, you probably get messages on LinkedIn suggesting other opportunities for, for you guys as well. I certainly do. Um, and so to the extent that you're sharing what the opportunities are with Uber, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, we're lucky here that we, we still have hundreds of drivers who are who are keen to join with us.
0: There was like a battle in New York recently, I think between Lyft and, and Uber, I'm not sure, but it was like saying like the amount of money they could earn and like the Ly- Lyft was like, look, you can earn $110,000. And then Uber was like, look, you can earn 5,000 a month. If and it was, I was like, man, what a great time to be a driver. Yeah, you know? So. I mean, it is kind of empowering for drivers, right? You must see yeah. you have a lot of happy drivers.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things I'm most passionate about in the I job. I driving. Hearing the, uh, hearing the stories from the drivers, and mm. some of them have just been working in the industry for, for years, and, and they're enjoying the flexibility and freedom, but others of them have like really inspiring stories. For example, there's one guy who's starting his own business, and we all know how, how tough it can be to, to keep a business afloat financially, and so he uses Uber to um, to... Uh, earn money while he's building his business but it gives him that flexibility that if he needs to meet with someone or spend nine to five working on his business he can there's others who um, want to see their kids more, typically in the old days um, working in a minicab in, in London means you have to work nights And it's still one of the busiest periods. But now Uber's reached a scale that if you want to work days, you also can and and you'll still be busy and you'll still earn a good living. And that gives some of the drivers the freedom to spend time with their families or do other work or study for another degree or, or anything like that.
1: Yeah. I, whenever I get into Uber, I always, always ask sort of, you know, what do you think? And I had, a, you know, some, some amazing stories from when in San Francisco, I took one to the airport and the guy, you know, he's from Africa. He was an immigrant. And, and during the night, he was a nighttime uh, valet parking for a hotel. But in the daytime, he got a loan from the bank to buy a car to to sort of be an Uber driver. And so here he was sort of, you know, working really long hours uh, to sort of make his way. And then I met a guy in London I took, and he was, he, he had his car, but he, he would be Uber in the evening uh, to to save up for a vacation for him and his wife. So it was kind of, you know, people just as secondary incomes even as an option it's, uh, it's
2: and we've awful. even had um drivers who sort of use uber to build their business around uber so maybe they start on UberX, earn earn enough money to buy another car and then their friend mm. or their brother drives that car and there's a couple of drivers who've now got four or five cars and their family and friends are sort of using them mm. to to work on uber and obviously if you can get a couple of drivers sharing the same car um that enables you to use that asset around the clock and its economics may, uh, work out even more
0: Let's talk about you for a bit. Uh, you do, were your management consultant for eight years, which means, uh, I think, and maybe I'm generalizing, that you go in and, and you tell companies like how they can make their company better, but you don't actually own the company or own the business. And now for the last two years, you know, you're responsible for a, a huge part of you know, Uber's new business. Is it, it, do you like the operating experience where everything's on the line and it's your fault? I mean, it's your, your success or your failure, um, or am I generalizing the management consultant industry?
2: <laughs> no, that's, that's probably a, uh, a fair um, comparison. And that's um, both, both are enjoyable and, and require sort of different skills. I think what you realize is actually making the decision versus telling someone they should make that decision is, is obviously a lot harder. Sometimes you, you may know what the right thing is to do, but actually to, to go and do it is, and be the one who's sort of accountable for that is, is um, sometimes a bit harder. But personally, I enjoy it a lot more because the results are very tangible um if if you're on consulting maybe you're delivering a project to the client who may or may not deliver it and hopefully you'll see them through that journey but here in uber especially because it's such an operational and tangible business you see the impacts the next day the next week so decisions i've made today or or yesterday we'll already see coming through in those numbers and those metrics um day by day and week by week and we're literally monitoring those all the time so you can you can really see the the impact
1: and were you, you know, were you, did you get recruited out of uh, being a consultant or, or how did you, how do you make the jump from, you know, probably a nice paying salary at you working long hours at, you know, at a consulting firm to working for this, you know, take over the world. Working startup. longer hours yeah, now. Longer <laughs> hours now. Uh,
2: I'd actually al- already decided to leave and, okay. um, and let them know I was leaving. I was looking for, looking for something else. Um, I... Came across them through um, contacts in, who were entrepreneurs themselves in South Africa. I was actually living in South Africa. Okay. Um, and they'd, uh, we were looking to launch in Joburg and um, met, got in touch with the recruiters there. But was super excited about the opportunity here in London, given that, that I'm from here.
0: You're a Londoner. What do, you, uh, what do you make of the tech scene in London or here over the last three years, four years? You know, I know you're seeing it from the Uber side. But if you just took a step back, what do you think of everything that's going on? How does it feel to you?
2: I mean, I've been overseas for, for a few years until I got back about a year ago, but it, it feels completely different than it was when, when I left seven or, seven or eight years ago. And it's so exciting to see so many um, startups and entrepreneurs. And one of the great things about this, this role is I get to interact with them. We, we go to quite a lot of, sort of speaking events, panels and, and, and things like that where we're able to, to hear about the great businesses people are setting up and, and the challenges they, they face.
0: I want to know what it's like working for an American company. I mean, when I heard about the big raise you guys did, and I was like, okay, what's the difference between Uber and another one of these companies? And they were like, it's the, the audaciousness, it's the vision of this huge, huge thing that you guys want to be someday. And, I mean, obviously you get that feeling from that kind of, you know, Silicon Valley, let's think big perspective. And, and, and do you think, as London, we, we lack that a little bit? Do you really feel that as being kind of an American company more so than you think if we were a British company?
2: That's interesting. I haven't worked with a, with a British startup. Um, I think maybe externally that comes across more uh, from an American company. I mean, I think there are quite a lot of British startups as well who have that ambition and maybe there's just been less of a track record ahead of them to, to prove that. But you hear, I mean, you hear Boris Johnson talking about wanting London to be the tech capital of the world or of Europe. And I'm sure that'll happen one day.
0: What's it like when all the Uber people get together do you guys meet up in San Francisco and do you exchange ideas with each other are you constantly in contact do you learn th- can you learn anything from like Chicago logistics that applies here
2: Yeah a huge amount I think one of the um, one of the reasons that the Uber model's been successful so internally is the, the fact that we set up all those city teams in a very similar way. So when we launch a new city, there's three people who go there. One of them focuses on supply, so finding drivers, onboarding them, managing capacity, pricing, all of all of the sort of quite analytical operations part. Uh, one is on the marketing side, so a community manager who deals with everything demand facing. So um, social media, customer complaints and, and inquiries, marketing, Marketing, events and partnerships everything like that um, and then you have a general manager who's responsible for keeping the two in balance as I mentioned that that can be can be tough at the beginning um, recruiting building the business legal regulatory strategy uh, and because of because of that consistent setup, as, as the team grows, you actually add more on, on each side. Because of that consistency, that means that you can talk to your counterparts in all those other cities around the world, and some of them at least will be ch- facing the, the same challenges. Um, so Uber's done a great job of actually sort of playbooking what, what we do, what's worked, sharing those ideas. So I'm in regular contact with my counterparts in, in Europe and in the US. The US cities have been... Um, been around a bit longer than we have so they've often been through some of the things that we're we're facing now um, and can share how that's worked for them and then part of the role of the the general manager is to interpret that how do you use that in our market which of those things will work here in London and which things do we need to do in a, a different way given the given the local market but yeah we get together quite quite often.
1: And your partnership with Google. When's it, when are we going to see driverless cars that you can
2: hire on Uber? <laughs> People often often ask <laughs> ask that. Um, I mean, I think in every. I don't think anyone thinks it's going to happen in, in, in less than a, a decade. And right. to get a, a car that's purely driverless, literally no driver in there, um, is is probably a decade away. There's already cars that are. A little bit driverless I yeah. was very impressed my friend showed me a car that automatically reverses into a into a car parking space but but I think it's a long time away and who knows what what uber will look like in I mean if you look over the last four years five years since we've been launched the amount of change is phenomenal so who knows what the company will even look like in in five ten years uh,
0: good, it, good it, question gets, I almost gets, forgot that one. Gets,
1: <laughs> me excited, gets me excited gets me excited to think about where uh ten years from now just call a Apparently, they have car. a problem
0: with snow and rain. Apparently, that's like a big sticking point for the, really? the, yeah, the, the driverless cars. Apparently. But don't you
2: want to chat to your driver?
0: I could get over that
1: though. I, could, I, think I, I used I, I to get when over I first got to London.
0: I was chatting with the black yeah, cabbies yeah, yeah, all the time. Sure. And it was fantastic, and we talk about this and that. But once I've been here long enough, then I didn't want to chat anymore. But so, did you travel with Uber? Do you chat to your Uber drivers? I actually when I uh, when the one time I traveled with Uber, I was with someone, and I was just enjoying the experience. i was he's only traveled
2: with Uber once. <gasps> Jesus,
0: geez, yeah, I do. Even so, today, he's <laughs> another. I thought she was going to say you yeah, travel yeah,
1: with Uber. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, mean, I used so. Today, today, so my, uh, one of my investors came by my office, we were, ch- we were just catching up, 83 years old. And um, so after the, after the meeting, I was like, oh, I'll grab you a car. He's like, what do you mean you grab me a car? And I said, so got him an Uber exec. Mercedes comes three minutes later. He gets into the Mercedes, he goes, how much is this costing you? I don't run this through the company as, you know, an old school investor. <laughs> and I am just like, don't no, right, worry, it's on my personal account. But, you know, it's, it's not very expensive. You should, you know, you should look into it. And he pulls out, you know, his old school flip phone and, just what's what's going to happen. But no, it was really interesting to see it from, from, you know, think, it blows, blows me away how, how, how Uber works, let alone someone you know, who's born in, what, the, the 20s or 30s. Of,
2: <laughs> and we <laughs> have this feature in the app called Share My ETA. So while mm. you're on the, the trip, you can share a live map of your progress with family mm. or friends back home. And I showed this to my mom, and she was blown away. My brother yeah. was coming to see us. I was like, look, you know, th- this is where, where, where he is. And I couldn't get her attention for the next 10 minutes. She was like, is he there? Oh, where is he? Where is he? <laughs>
0: That's a nice feature. Um, how do you hire what do you look at when it comes to a a candidate, not a driver, I mean someone to work in your offices and, you know, that you have to be creative with and all that stuff.
2: So we, I mean, it depends on the role, what we're actually looking for, but we have quite um, uh, an extensive interview process. As uh, someone said to me when I was being hired, we move fast on everything except hiring. And it's so important to find the right people. And it's worth waiting uh, to get that right person rather than getting the the wrong person sooner. Um, It it depends on the role. But for example, the driver operations role that's that's very analytical. I mean, we'll probably do a, a phone screen or something like that. And then we'll set them an analytics test and that test is very indicative of the type of work you do day to day. So it'll be uh, using Excel. You need to run some data about uh, driver efficiency or how to allocate drivers when, when they're on hourly, hourly shifts or, or something like that um, to see if they can both um, take data, manipulate it, interpret it, and then turn it into, into action at the end. Um, and then they'd have some interviews with people on the team um, who are doing that role and the, the team lead uh, and eventually um, with, with myself. For the general managers, it's, it's a really interesting process because you need to do both the analytical side, so you do the same test as the operations guy, and then you do the test of the um, marketing team. So we set them a creative challenge, tell us about some exciting, innovative marketing partnerships that, that you could do, uh, have a few interviews, and then you actually put together a city plan for your city. So you say, what what would you do uh, in, in my case for London? What what would your plan for London be over the next six months? Where do you think we could get it to? Um, what would you do on the demand side? What would you do on the supply side? How would you manage the team? And the whole process is as very, very similar to exactly what you do on a day-to-day basis. So for the candidate, it's great because you get a feel for, for what you do and if, if you don't enjoy the process, it's time-consuming, but if you don't enjoy the process it's probably not the right job. But you also get the ability to interact with the members of the team and see, you know, we can both see mutually, do we like working together? Is this a, is this a good fit? Is this someone I can work with? Um, so that by the time we get to the end of the process, um, then we're very confident we found found the right person.
0: Wow, that's an exhaustive process. Why did they hire you? I'm curious. Why do you, why do you think <laughs> they know. hired you? What, what, what was it, do you think? Was it, you know, your analytic background or that, that you'd work in many places in the world? Or, I don't know, what do you think? Uh,
2: I don't know. I mean, the, what they look for in a GM is both this analytical ability, um, the creative ability on the marketing side but then also the ability to, to run the city and I think in hindsight I'm very glad that I came in at the, the stage that, that London was because I think my skill set's better suited to taking a, a business that already exists and growing it fast versus that challenge when you go somewhere where the city hasn't even launched yet. It's really tough I and mean, it's a different skill set but you need to be able to hit the streets, talk to people, persuade them to, to join, persuade them to, to partner with Uber uh, and, and that's quite tough and I think my skill skills are more um, relevant in the kind of scaling, scaling side.
0: And how do you market now?
2: Well, so you may have seen we do almost no above-the-line advertising. And what we believe in terms of marketing is that if we can get you in a car for the first time, um, you'll have a great experience and, and you'll ride again. So almost all of our marketing is, is around that. So we partner, uh, partner with an event or a venue, for example, Soho House or uh, a festival or, or something like that, um, and it adds value for that partner because they need people to get to and from their, their venue, uh, and it, it means for us we get to reach their, their audience, so we'll send out a, a promotion code, get them riding um, to or from the event, uh, and then they very, very often ride again. And we actually see really interesting rider behavior. That's one of the, the data sort of things we look at is how often people ride with Uber. And you see that they ride the, the first time and then there might be a few weeks gap and they ride again and then again a couple of weeks later and it gets more and more often. And you see that sort of hockey stick approach yeah. after that, that first, first experience. And then we do quite a bit on, on social media, so trying to do a lot of viral marketing and the referral campaigns that I talked about. So using if, if you hear about um, a service or a product from your friend, you're much more likely to try it than if you read a, a random advert somewhere
0: but you have all this money you could spend on marketing <laughs> it must it must be i mean that's a conscious decision because you know you, you could spend a lot of money couldn't you
2: well the i mean giving a free ride also costs money right because we still have to have to pay the pay the driver but we we believe in really focusing the market, marketing on those very direct efforts where you can trace it back and you can make sure you're making efficient investments. It would be very easy with with 200 cities to to waste a lot of money on sort of generic marketing, so we make very very sure everything's very metrics-driven and and sort of results-oriented.
0: Joe, we always ask uh, everyone that comes here a couple questions at the end about you, and uh, so I'm going to hit you with them. If you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Joe Bertram and give uh, that young lady a bit of advice, what would you tell her to do or not do?
2: Um, that's an interesting question. I think I'd say just relax. <laughs> Don't worry about it. it, it it'll all come, come you were, right. I think you I were probably to, very serious. Yes, right? I, was, I was very very serious. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was very very serious and very very uh, very very passionate about what I was doing. I, I think I still am. But but realizing that uh, you know the, those bumps in the road are inevitable, and um, you, you'll get over it. <laughs>
0: Good advice. Um, What's the best advice you've ever received uh, in your business career, whether it's been at Uber or or when you were consulting?
2: Trying to think about that. I've received a, a huge amount of advice. Actually, I think one of the most valuable ones, and I I don't take it as seriously as I should, but is the importance of um, taking some time every day just to really think about what the most important priorities are. I think one of the challenges at Uber is there's so much stuff going on. There's so many cool things. There's lots of operational issues or challenges. Like It's a very day-to-day basis, you can find yourself keeping busy without necessarily achieving those, those important priorities to move the business forward. So actually taking the time just to think, hang on, there's 50 people asking for my time on things, but what are the two or three things that I really need to get done today to make the most impact instead of just keeping busy?
0: How do you do that?
2: I think it's just trying to find that, that space and time. For me, it needs to be, be outside the office because um, I just need a quiet environment away. No email, no, um, you know, no messenger or anything like that. Um, but, it's, but it's really challenging. And especially in these days, you have so many different channels of information coming in. You're getting emails, you're getting phone calls, you're getting messages through 10 different channels uh, and making sure you take the time just to say, okay, no, pause that for a minute and let's just really think where, where the business needs to go.
0: That is really good advice, actually. What is your typical week like? I, I mean, how many hours are you in the office? How many hours are you thinking about the office? Like, what, <laughs> what is a typical for you?
2: Um, it, it varies a lot, and there's, there's a lot of flexibility. I typically spend probably most of the time between kind of Nine and, and six with the team, and with with different elements of the team um, working on problems, finding out where we're at. Um, you know, we at the beginning of the week we review the metrics from the previous week, see how we're doing, what do we need to adapt. It's a very day by day, week by week um, business. Uh, but then also spending time with them, figuring out what's the next marketing campaign, how do we get more drivers, whatever it might be. Um, plus, quite a lot these days of, of external things. So. Um, speaking events or media or, or things like that um, we might also do I do a lot of recruiting especially when we're, we're growing so to grow that quickly I mean if you imagine we've hired what 30 people think of the number of people you have to interview to get 30 good people in the door
0: 20% of your time recruiting
2: Yeah, probably that's that's probably fair. It comes and goes. So we'll do a big a big push, and then it might be um, might be a bit less for a while. But yeah, a lot of lot of time on on recruiting. Spend a lot of time um, talking to my counterparts in other cities to see what we what we can learn from them um and then some of the time actually on the operational stuff of the the business so for example um almost all of my team here in london deal with driver emails and customer emails and i think it's really important you still do a bit of that just to keep in touch with the business and know what's going on so i still dig in and and do some of the some of the more challenging ones there and so writing back to 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 a driver you might be upset or to to a customer and, and things like that
0: that's coming up a lot in this Stanford class is right. getting your tech people to answer the customer service yeah. and getting everyone to answer it because then everyone sees the problems and fixes them.
2: And we've even, uh, at the moment, we've even got a lot of our marketing team also working on the driver side. So instead of keeping it like very separate, we're thinking how do we use their skills to figure out how we improve the experience for drivers, both to attract new drivers, but to make sure we're giving the drivers we have the, the best support possible. Our operations guys are typically very analytical, but the marketing guys can bring this just softer side how, you know, how do we make it all more fun and, and, and more, you know, easier to attract more drivers.
0: Right. Cause it is a marketplace and you're marketing to both sides. Yeah, exactly. Um, and do you, when, when do you have downtime and do you take your downtime seriously? Do you shut off your email and all that stuff?
2: Um, I do tend to be very connected, uh, in, in this business in, in my former life, I did try to shut off email and things like that, but it is a 24 by seven business. I mean, people are, uh, are moving around the city. 24 by seven. So I am usually pretty connected, but it's, it's typically the, the, the weekends. Uh, but it's funny; it's, it's such an interesting job that if I sit down at my computer to try and do something else, I'll often get distracted into to doing something related to work anyway.
1: <laughs> or, or you get like taken over to look
0: at analytics on a Sunday afternoon, just yeah, exactly. You're <laughs> yeah. It's more how, fun than paying how, my yeah, bills. So. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what's going on. What yeah. right? okay, well, did we do last night? Um, la- Last part of the advice question is uh, to the twenty year old that's listening around the world in, in any country in any capacity. What advice do you give to them if if they want to get involved in a company like Uber or in some of these exciting, you know, growth startups?
2: I think um, one of the most important things is to understand as much as possible about the, the model at Uber, especially now as we're recruiting. Um, I think some of the... Some of the um, candidates we have sometimes focus mostly on, on selling themselves but we get so much interest we really want to see people who've thought about our model that are coming with new ideas you know interesting thoughts on it and we're not I mean you know, if, if someone comes to an interview and um, they've never travelled with Uber you're like well you or know. only
0: once <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not interviewing you so it's <laughs> alright
2: um, but, but usually the the great candidates have spoken to drivers they've driven a lot they've asked their stories they've spoken to their friends what they like about it and things like that so, so really figure out like how the company works and and why you think it's um, exciting Um, and then I guess the the other thing is is just making sure you figure out what's the right fit for you I mean an operational role is very hands-on we all do very menial tasks uh, a lot of the time because that's the nature of a of a high growth industry so not trying to be you know being humble and just being totally willing to pitch in with whatever task it is just to get the the business uh, where it needs to be.
0: I had a London real guest on recently and he, he was just talking about how to make money and he said, a lot of people come in and they're like, I want to make all this money. And he's like, you need to really provide the value. And if you actually provide value, then all that other stuff will come. But if you just have this mentality is I'm going to get all this stuff, you know, you don't get it. And so this is a perfect example, okay. like come in mm-hmm. being like, I, I mean, if you provide the value, then it will come. And that's what great companies like this do. That's why they have these valuations because they're providing
2: all this value. But the other thing is, I mean, I think the team is really passionate about what Uber does for, for customers and drivers and I think and we're very careful in the hiring process but I think what's great working there is that my team they, they really believe that we're changing drivers lives, we're hel- helping people to get around London and I don't think you could put in the, the dedication and the, the hard work if it was just, you know, I, I want to work at Uber because it's a cool company And um, so it's finding that thing where you really believe in the product and, and the service, especially if it's disruptive, you will get challenged and you really need to, to believe in what you're doing
0: That's it. I I think I've asked everything. Did I miss anything? I think it was good, yeah. I love it. It was good, right? Yeah, yeah, um, Joe, you're very impressive uh, in all ways. Uh, I can see why they hired you. I would have hired <laughs> you, too. Um, it's just interesting to really see how your mind works and, um, and all the different things going on over there, You know, like you said, from operations mixed with the marketing, and it's really fascinating to see that. Thank you so much for coming on. You know, I, I know uh, a lot of people you know, might not want this format because they don't know what's going to happen, and it's live and all that stuff, so I compliment these companies that come in and answer these hard questions because you know you guys are in the press all the time, so Thanks so much for being Thank here you. Uh, on that note. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us a great rating. Come see us on, on uh, YouTube channel, yep. uh, Silicon real. And, um, that's it. Is there anything else going on? It's all good. Buy some coffee from Colin, right? Buy some coffee. Yeah. Uh, um, Joe, how do people contact you? Uh, you are hiring right now. Is there an email website? How do they do that?
2: Yeah. Go to uber.com slash jobs and you'll see all the available jobs, but you can also find me on, on LinkedIn or on Twitter and we'll direct your inquiry in the right way.
0: Exciting stuff. I can't, I can't you know, imagine what's going to be like in a couple of years, right? Um, well, uh, there you go. I'm going to wrap this up. As we say on Silicon Reel, it's about the people. You're one of them, Joe. Thanks so much for being here, and I uh, wish you guys all the success. And I, I'm going to ride in the Uber again. There we go. <laughs> all right? Okay. Cheers. Take care. Thanks. Bye.
2: Once you're in a buyout industry, the the key skill you need to have is being very, very, very good at spreadsheets to analyse the target company in as much detail as possible. Usually when we first invest in a company, you're right, we we own 20% and often the founders are left with 80%. Generally, we still want those companies to be run and managed by the founders. The three biggest trends around where most of the value in the tech industry have been created the last 10, 15 years, probably I would say mobile, social and
1: cloud.